do I have any hikers out here? All right, there's a couple, there's a couple. Okay, I love, I love hiking. I love the outdoors. But I didn't always love it, okay? I didn't always love hiking, all right? I am a nerdy bookworm that plays the piano, okay? And that's what I did growing up. And my best friend was the MVP of every single sport imaginable, okay? And I don't know how we got hooked up, but she loved Jesus and I love Jesus and we both love God's word. And actually we got together to start memorizing the book of James together. But um, she's the MVP of every sport. I'm totally non-athletic. And she convinces me to be a camp counselor in the Pocono Mountains. So I am nervous all over the place about this, okay? But I am 16 years old, and we go all the way to Pennsylvania to the Pocono Mountains. I had never seen mountains like that. I was from the cornfields of Indiana, and I just was in awe of the Pocono Mountains. But here I am, nerdy book piano player out in the middle of camp life. And the first week is counselor's training. So we begin counselor's training and we're doing things that I think counselors need to learn, right? Like how to write a devotional and present it to your counselors at the evening devotional time and how to lead someone to Christ, the ABCs of leading them to Christ. I'm thinking, yes, this is great. This is, this is training me to be a great camp counselor. But then all my friends who had been counselors before, let's get away from that. All my friends who had been counselors before kept talking about the end of the week, the end of the week, what was going to be happening the end of the week. And I caught wind of what was going to be happening the end of the week, the climb. The climb up Mount Pocono. And I'm thinking, I am not set up for success. My fingers have a lot of exercise practice, but I am not going to make it up that mountain. So I am already nervous. I've got MVP athlete Chris in front of me. I've got you know, diehard Heidi behind me, and Nature Joe is leading the way. And we're going towards the mountain. And I'm like, are we about, like, are we, are we close to the top? <laughs> no, no. They're like, we haven't even got to the trail where the mountain begins. <laughs> and when we got to the trail where the mountain begins, it became evident to me it was straight up. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I'm just like, I'm already tired and I'm huffing and I'm puffing and I'm sweating. And I'm just like, I can't do this. I cannot climb up this mountain. And Chris is like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You know, now come on. Okay, all right, all right. I'm trying not to complain, but I'm like, okay, I need to, like, I just, I need to sit down. She's like, don't sit down. 
Do not sit down. You keep one foot in front of the other. You hear me? Don't sit down because if you sit down, you're never going to get back up. Like, keep going. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. So I'm like, okay, okay, all right. Well, the, the whole way, I'm just, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I need to sit down. I need to sit down. I need to sit down. And in my mind, ruminating over and over and over, all I can think about is, this is stupid. <laughs> this trail is stupid. This mountain is stupid. I don't care how beautiful the view is. And you know what? These people who are in charge of training the counselors, they're really stupid. <laughs> I am going to write a letter, and we're going to make sure that no counselor ever again is going to be made to walk up Mount Pocono. This is ridiculous. What, I, what had I convinced myself of? I'm a victim. I can't do this. I need something that's not being provided for me right now. I'm a victim. I'm trapped. Well, we made it about halfway up the, up the mountain, and all of a sudden, word was trickling down from the top of the trail. Nature Joe had run into a rattlesnake, okay? And I'm like, oh, then I'm like, no, oh, when it cut his rattlesnake, it's going to come out of the, you know, the trail and kill me, uh, you know, but, but okay, so then, the, what's the next, oh, is it real, is it real? So that kind of talk goes up the trail, then it kind of comes down again. He killed the rattlesnake, the rattlesnake is dead. All right, well, Chris, MVP Chris decides... Oh, a rattlesnake. That's cool. I'm going to go and surpass everybody on the trail, and I'm going to get that rattlesnake, and I'm going to sling it around my neck, and I'm going to carry it up to the top of the mountain. I just think that would be so cool. And I'm like, Chris, no, you can't leave me. Like, she's, she's pulling me. You know, sometimes she's a, in front of me pulling me up, and sometimes she's behind me, you know, pushing me. I'm like, you can't leave me. Oh, no, she, she left me. She left me, and, and now I'm thinking about other things. You know what I'm thinking about now? What would you be thinking about? I wonder if she really carried that rattlesnake up the mountain. And so I'm thinking something else, and I'm, I'm walking up the mountain, and I'm not thinking about, I can't do this. I'm not thinking about, I need to sit down. I'm thinking, I need to get to the top. Because I, I want to see if she has that rattlesnake. Like, did she really carry the rattlesnake up the trail? Okay, so my perspective, things changed. The mountain didn't go away. The terrain did not get flatter. It did not get easier. But what was going on up here? I started thinking about something different. I was thinking about what would await me at the end of the hike. Ladies, if the enemy can convince you 
that you can't and that you need something that he has not provided for you and that you are trapped and you are stuck and you are not able to fulfill your God-given purpose, then the enemy has you exactly where he wants you. Ladies, the enemy can't take away your salvation. The enemy cannot take away your eternal reward. But he can make you very ineffective for him here on this earth, for God here on this earth. If we give in to the enemy, he can paralyze us. But we need to make sure we recognize who and what the enemy is. Because sometimes we're so focused on removing the mountain, removing the person who's making us walk up the mountain, or whatever else we feel is the problem. And we forget that God has made us a victor. And we have within us in this moment everything we need to be victorious, even if we feel like a victim. All right, how do I know this? Throughout the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of time to the end of time, God has a very special relationship with victims. Some of my favorite victims are Job, who was a victim of every natural disaster, every relational strain, and every physical ailment you could imagine. He's a victim. Hagar is one of my other most favorite victims in the Bible. Her interaction with God is amazing, and I can't get enough of it. And if you're not familiar with Hagar's story, study it. It's beautiful. And then there's the children of Israel, the Hebrews who are slaves in Egypt under the very oppressive Pharaoh. They were absolute victims. But listen to what God had to say. He says this to so many throughout the pages of Scripture, but I want to read how he specifically addresses the Hebrew slaves just before the Exodus. The Israelites groaned at their difficult labor. And then they cried out. And their cry for help ascended to God because of their difficult labor. So God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the Israelites 
and he took notice. Moving forward to verse 7. This is Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse 7. Then the Lord answered Moses at this point. I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors, and I know about their suffering. I have come down to rescue them. Ladies, if you feel like a victim today, you're not alone. Um, In a world full of sin, We will all become victims at some point of sin, suffering someone else's sin, Uh, sin in the world, illness, physical. Things we'll, we'll have to deal with, okay? Things that are of no fault, per se, of our own. It's the result of living in a sinful world. But I want you to remember this and remember this for your whole life. God sees you. God hears you. And God is able. Now, I wish I could say, he's going to take it all away. I wish he could say, He will answer every request that you make to him. I wish I could say that he will remove the mountain, that he will make the terrain of the trail flat. I will say this, he's able to. But you and I both know, oftentimes he doesn't. So where does that leave us? Tonight, I want you to see life differently. I want you to be radically transformed by the truth of God's word. Because there's one circumstance, one obstacle, one suffering. I want you to think you all have something right now. I've gotten three texts within the last 24 hours of people going through severe suffering. It might be a physical thing that you're dealing with. It might be something internal. Your anxiety has you It's just, it's inside. It's not what's happening outside. It has nothing to do with anybody else but yourself. And you feel like you are absolutely trapped and you are a victim of that feeling. Maybe it's relational. Maybe there's something going on in your life and you you just feel like you have no, you can't be who God's called you to be because I don't know, a bad boss, like an evil boss, Um, kids (laughs) that won't do what they're supposed to do. Like there's something in your mind. There's something I know you're facing right now that's saying, I can't. 
and I need something that God's not giving to me. And I'm a victim. I can't live out God's purpose for my life in these circumstances. I know you have something like that. Take that thing. There's one obstacle. There's one circumstance. But there are two goals. And you have to get this in your mind. There are two goals. Satan has a goal. His goal is to destroy you. His goal is to disable you. His goal is to keep you living like a victim. When God has given you everything, you need to live like a victor. If you believe that, you will be ineffective for the kingdom. But God has another goal. That same circumstance, don't change a thing. God wants to use that to strengthen you. He wants to use that very same thing, no matter if it ever goes away, to reveal his mighty power through you in the middle of the suffering. Ladies, God sees you. He hears you, and he's able. He's able to do whatever it is that he knows needs to be done, but do we trust him? Do we trust him to be God? As we pray and say, please, God, remove this suffering, remove this thing. Take away the mountain. But if you don't, I will live out my purpose. I will live for your glory. I will live for you. I will not let this one obstacle destroy me. Render me paralyzed, ineffective. I will not. I will do your will. I will obey you. Ladies, we need endurance. And when we find ourselves in that place, and we, if we don't have it right now, it will come. That day is coming. Those we love aren't going to live forever. We're going to have deep suffering in this life, and we need endurance. And if we don't get it now... What is endurance? It is choosing to live out my God-given purpose regardless of what is going on around me, 
or within me. Choosing to live out my God-given purpose regardless of what is going on around me or within me. So no matter how I feel, I will follow. I won't wait for the obstacle to go away. I will live out my God-given purpose regardless of what is going on around me or within me. Okay, easier said than done. All right, what does this look like? Okay, what does this look like? Acts 14 um, little background here, okay? Um, Acts 14, Paul is, has come to know Jesus as a Savior. The Lord's transformed him, and now he is going out, and he is sharing the gospel message that Christ is God. Christ is the Savior of the world, and he is the way to salvation, okay? This is what Paul's mission is. This is his God-given purpose is to share this message. So he and Barnabas have been sent out by the church of Antioch, the very first church established, and they send Paul and Barnabas out to travel around these different cities and to basically church plant. They're sharing this gospel message for the very first time. And so that is what they're doing, okay? But everywhere they go, there's a, a dual response. Some people listen and are saved. Some people reject it and actually become enemies. So towards the end of their journey, Paul and Barnabas, what do you know about Barnabas? Let me see. What does his name mean? Very good. Okay, good. Now just remember this as we continue. Okay, all right, Acts 14, verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch, remember? That's where the first church was started, if it's that Antioch. Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds, okay, so they come in to try to disrupt what's going on, okay? They, they persuade the crowds that Paul needs to be silenced in some way or the other. And in one sentence, they do. They won over the crowds and they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. Can't get any more victim than that, right? Well, what are they going to do? After the disciples surrounded him, he got up. And he went into the town. The next day, he left with Bar Barnabas for Derby. After they had evangelized that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them. Okay, just keep it here for a minute. Are you on the edge of your seats? Pain gives you a platform, 
okay? If you've gone through something really difficult, people will listen to you. Paul had just been stoned and left for dead. Do you think the churches are going to be wondering, okay, what's the word? What's the word? What would the word be today? Brighter days are coming. There's a silver lining on every cloud, right? Isn't that how we encourage each other? What were we saying to each other during COVID, masks and quarantine and all that? COVID's going to get over. Hang on. One day, we won't have to wear masks. That became our hope. What are we going to say when the next thing happens? All right, here we go. You ready? What did they say? What did Barnabas, who's known as the encourager, what was their message of encouragement? Here we go. This is it. (laughs) To continue in the faith, number one, which is the same as endurance, right? Continue and, drum roll, here it is. It is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Period. That's it. I was looking for more. I didn't see it. That was the end. It's necessary. It's necessary. And then it continues. They, you know, went on here. They went on there. They appointed elders in this city. What are they doing? They're living out their God-given purpose no matter what was going on around them or within them. That's what they were doing. That's what they were doing. And in verse 26, it says, from there they sailed back to Antioch, the church that had entrusted them to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. They finished what they set out to do. They didn't even let the threat of death keep them from doing God's will. So that's what endurance looks like, okay? Are you, are you getting encouraged? I mean, okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going, all right? There's, there's more. Um, all right, now. How can you live like this, okay? How can you live like this? We're going to go very step-by-step, things that you can tell yourself a million times over when you are saying, when you, when you hear those voices in your mind say, I can't, I need something that God's not providing for me. I'm, a, I'm trapped. I can't do God's, I can't do, I'm, I'm stuck. You tell yourself these things, okay? Okay. Um, Listen, we can't live like this because we got just, it's in us. We can't live like this because we're just gritty. The only way we can endure is because God is able. God is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. 
And the first thing that we need to do to endure, here's your path. Are you ready for it? Here's your path. Here's the first thing you need to do. You need to remember. You need to remember the endurance of the past. Okay? When you are laying in bed and you feel like there is no way you can get out. When someone asks you to do something and you think there is no way you can step on that stage and do that, then tell yourself this. Remember the endurance of the past. All right, I, but let's turn to where, where this is coming from, okay? Because this is all from Scripture. It's straight from the Word of God, Hebrews 10, verse 32. That's where we're going to start, Hebrews 10, verse 32. Okay, so this is second-generation Christians. So we have Paul and Barnabas who were starting the missionary journeys and, and spreading the gospel, okay? So this letter was written to that second generation. No one knows for sure who wrote Hebrews. Some people say it was Paul. Some people say it was Barnabas. Um, it could have been them, but they're writing to second generation Christians. And this is what they say, starting in verse 32. Remember the earlier days when, after you had been enlightened, which means they accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Remember the earlier days when you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Okay, when I first read this, and as I was thinking about speaking, I kept wanting to say it like this. Remember the earlier days when you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering? I, I was putting a question mark at the end of it. Remember? Remember? No, this is not... Oh, remember, question mark. It's like, remember command. When you feel like you are a victim, the first thing you need to do is you need to intentionally remember someone who has endured in the past. That's what they're saying right here. Remember. Start there. So you're going to begin remembering some hard struggle that you faced maybe personally in the past and how you endured it, okay? If that's not coming to mind, then think about somebody else that you know who's endured a hard struggle in their life and think through, how did they endure that hard struggle? And if you're still having trouble, let me give you some names. Corey Tenboom. She was committed to living out her purpose in a Nazi concentration camp. Johnny Erickson Tata committed to living out her God-given purpose by writing books, speaking, and giving encouragement to others, even though a horrible accident had paralyzed her from her neck down as a teenager. Elizabeth Elliot who with her small daughter, 
recently widowed, returned to the very tribe who had murdered her husband. They were cannibals, and she went back there to share the gospel with them. Victims who lived like victors. They were not going to let the obstacle keep them from living out their God-given purpose. Scripture is full of them. You can move forward. This is a precursor to Hebrews chapter 11, which is the one that everyone focuses on. It's called the faith chapter. And it's name after name after name after name after name of a lot of victims who lived like victors. So whatever you have to do next time you say, I can't do this, God. This is not working. Something, I, I can't do this anymore. I need something that you're not providing for me. Then I want you to remember Corey Ten Boom and Elizabeth Elliot and Johnny Erickson Tata and Hagar and Job and the Hebrew slaves. This will give you strength. You, you remember that and you reclaim that strength for yourself. That's step number one. All right, now we're going to talk about now this author is going to talk about their personal heart struggles. That's what he does. He says, remember your past, your personal past, and how you dealt with. Okay, so let's talk briefly. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a heart struggle with suffering. Now he's going to move into what were those heart struggles. So let's look at that. Sometimes you are publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions which would include a public stoning, okay? Not necessarily, but could include, okay? Taunts and afflictions, end of story. You know, if I'd been writing this, I'd have been like, first, you know what they did to me? It was so bad. They, you know, and I would just go on and on and on about just the horrible thing that had happened to me, right? Well, they just, they just quickly, you know, taunts and afflictions, okay? At other times, you were companions of those who were treated that way. All right, so at this time in the Christian Christianity, it was not acceptable. Like it was not embraced by the culture, right? So if you were a Christian, you were risking your life. But then if you were a companion of someone, if you stood up for somebody... If you, hey, 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 you know, whatever, kind of, you aligned yourself with that person, you are putting yourself at risk too. So you are also getting some of the yucky victimization, we can say, of that person, okay? So, so he says, okay, this is what you had to deal with, all right, but now look at how you dealt with it. And this is cool. This is cool. This is exciting. Four, this is how you handled it. In the past, when you endured suffering, this is what you did. You sympathized with the prisoners. 
You accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. Knowing that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. All right, do you see what I see here? Move on to the next slide. Do you see what I see? What were they doing? They were being, everything around them and within them was telling them, I'm a victim, I can't. I, I need something that God's not giving to me. And this is, you know, something that I can't. Um, oh, that's not the, that's not the verse, okay? Uh, um, okay, so it's Hebrews 10, 34, and you should have a slide that has some things in parentheses. Okay? All right, so we'll just work with this one, okay? You sympathize with the prisoners. What's another word that we would use? That's just a general word. Love. You loved those prisoners. And you accepted with joy. Here we go. The confiscation of your possessions. Knowing that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. You know what that reminds me of? That knowing word means in the Hebrew, or I mean in the Greek, it means firm resolve. It reminds me of the verse in Isaiah that says, he, meaning God, will keep the person in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, God, because he or she trusts in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What did they do? They did something totally, this is, this is where it's like, What? Everything up to this point we can relate to, and it's like, what? This is unnatural. This is not normal. This is not, this is weird. But what are they doing? They're enduring. And enduring is choosing to live out my God-given purpose, reflecting the fruit of the Spirit. All right, it's in... Let's go to the next slide, and let's review. But the fruit of the Spirit, say it with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. All right, now when we first moved here, I, it was the craziest thing, in the middle of the move, I... Notice I couldn't, like, lift my arm. And I'm, what is going on? I'm trying to pack boxes. I'm doing, like, I'm trying to do like this. I'm trying to do like that. And, and I'm like, what is going on? It was the most painful experience I had, had ever had other than try, just ongoing painful experience. Like, it just never went away. Have you ever had a frozen shoulder? <laughs> okay, so that's, 
that's what I had. I had this adhesive capsulitis. It's like a frozen shoulder. And it was so painful and trying to move and then pack up and then move here. And we're going through the, you know, we're flying back and forth, back and forth because it's Christmas time and all this stuff. And they're like, okay, put your hands above your head. And I'm like, I really, I can't, you know. And it was just crazy. Um, And I'll just be honest. I was grumpy. Pain can make you grumpy. Well, it can tempt you to be grumpy. It can tempt you to be grumpy. And the Lord convicted me because I was like, I need this to go away. Like, I, this is horrible. And, and I started giving myself, I started giving myself some free passes for ugliness. I'm like, I'm in pain, like, and snapping, I'd snap at one of my kids or whatever, and it was like, I'm in pain, okay? I'm allowed, right? When when we felt like somehow in our mind, we think, if I don't feel good, I can act bad. And the Lord convicted me. He convicted me of this, and he said, said, Christina, you don't. You don't need this frozen shoulder to go away as much as you need to live out your God-given purpose reflecting the fruits of the Spirit. Are you loving? Are you reflecting joy? Are you reflecting peace right now? Patience? kindness. Next time you and I say, we need, I need God for you to do this. Let's ask ourselves, no, I need to do God's will and I need to do it reflecting the fruits because he lives in me. He lives in me. And it's not normal. It's not natural. It's not humanly possible, but guess what? God's able And sometimes we think, oh, no, God's able. He's able to move that mountain. He's able to, you know, cure you of this. But but somehow we think, well, he's not able to make me reflect the fruit of the Spirit in the middle of it. Our God is able to do immeasurably more than we ever asked or imagined. And he is able within you to reflect the fruit of the spirit in the middle of the suffering. And that's what endurance is. That's endurance. Reflect the fruit of the spirit. All right, the next thing that we need to do, according to Hebrews 10, is we need to rethink our needs. We need to rethink our needs. And he lays it out for us right here. So don't throw away your confidence. Okay, because that's what the enemy wants you to do. He's using that one circumstance, that one obstacle to make you throw it all away. Throw away your confidence in in the Lord. And I, I get it. I've been there. When you prayed so hard for God to intervene, you know he's able to do it and he doesn't. 
that is devastating. And I've been there. And Satan wants to take that, the enemy wants to take that, and he wants to, to say, throw it all away. Throw away your confidence. God doesn't, you know, whatever it is that's going on in there, God either doesn't care, God doesn't, isn't able somehow. I, there, you know, all the crazy things that go on in our mind, we're like, why didn't you do that? I, I knew you could, and you, I believed you could. I could not have had more faith, God, that you would do this. And he does it. So the enemy wants to take that and he wants us to throw away our confidence. But this is what they said. Don't throw away your confidence. Your confidence, your confidence has great reward for you need. Say it. That's what you need. You don't need for me to say yes to every prayer you pray. You don't need every obstacle to be taken away. All right, I, I, the last six weeks I've been traveling with Corey, and it's like wearing me out. But it's a, it's a great uh, gift uh, for me to partner with him in ministry in this way and just to be by his side. And uh, so we've just been here and there, and I've been trying to prepare for this. And I'm just one of these people. Remember, I'm nerdy. I read books, and I play the piano. And um, so I'm one of those nerdy people that I need complete quiet in order to do anything that requires thinking. So that's, I have four teenagers, okay? And I, anyway, so we're at this hotel. We have to end up checking out. He has to keep speaking, but I've got to find a place within the hotel to work on this, right? And so I'm like, I go to the lady at the front desk. I'm like, um, is there somewhere quiet that I could just sit and think and write and work on stuff? And so she told me, she was like, there's a place down. If you keep walking down this hall, there's a place and it has like ping pong table, pool table, video, you know, but no one ever goes there and you'll be fine. So I'm like, okay. So I, I go down there and I pull out the computer and I'm like, the brain is flowing and the fingers are typing. And then like literally within five minutes, all these teenagers come into that area and there's all this, there's so loud and ping pong. You know, ping pong's going on, video game, all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, Lord, I need it to be quiet. And you know what he said to me? You need to do my will and reflect the fruits of the Spirit. I said, okay, God. <laughs> and you know what? I don't know how, but when I set that in my mind, and I quit thinking, like, God, take those people away. Like, should I say something to them? Like, don't they see I'm busy here? Like, I had this space first, right? Like, once I took my mind off of them and needing the thing that God was not providing for me, it all came together. It all came together. So we need to rethink our needs. We need to rethink our needs. We need endurance we need to do God's will reflecting the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the two things we need. Everything else is gravy. Everything else in this life is gravy, and it is not owed to us. 
Our breath belongs to the Lord, and he does not need to give it to us. It's his. It belongs to him. Everything else is gravy. We need to do God's will, and we need to reflect the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the things we need. So we need to rethink our needs, and we need to start praying for those things in our lives. And that will allow us to live like a victor even when we feel like a victim. All right, the next thing, we need to resist the enemy. Hebrews 10, 37 through 39, it says, For yet in a little while, the coming one, meaning Christ, will come and not delay. But my righteous one, he's talking about you and me. My righteous one, the one who has given their life to Jesus Christ. The one who has said, I am a sinner and I need a savior, that one. And if you've done that today and you receive the gift, you've received the gift knowing Jesus paid it all. Okay? He paid it all. He paid the penalty for my sin. But then I want to bring you a little bit farther. He didn't just die and stay in the grave so that we could just go to heaven. No, he rose again. And this is the part that I want you to take home with you tonight. That power that rose Christ from the grave lives in you. It's available to you now. You don't even have to ask for it. If you, you already have if you've asked Jesus to be your Savior. That power lives in you. So those fruits of the, the fruit of the Spirit lives in you. It's already there. It's already there. So now... This is a very important step in living like a victor when we feel like a victim. We have to resist the enemy. We have to actively resist him. We are pushing him out. We are refusing to listen to the lies. We are refusing. There is, I don't know why we think we can fill our minds with all this junk and think that we are going to live According to truth, we can't, we've got to actively resist. We have to say, no, I'm not filling my mind with that. My dad died when I was 26 years old, sudden heart attack. I was pregnant with our first child. And it was a, Corey was still in school. We were poor as church mice. We were living with the church mice. And um, we were, I was actually getting ready. We were going for our family reunion. It was in 2001. And we always got together every 4th of July. And uh, I was getting ready. And Corey came up the stairs. And he said, honey, you, you need to sit down. Your dad's had a heart attack. And I, I, I okay, well, how's he doing? Like, what hospital is he in? Like, what are they going to do? And then he, he's like, he didn't make it. 
And I'll never forget that feeling. I'll never, and if you've lost someone you love, you'll never forget that feeling. That deep pain. And you know what? Some of the first thoughts that came into my mind, I can't live if living is without you. Mariah Carey, that's Corey, you know, <laughs> let us know. God, I couldn't believe, I was going to use that example, and I couldn't believe you used it. And I'm like, I was going to use that story. You're still on my stories. But that's the first thing. Because why? Because that's what I was filling my mind with. So it was there. In my deepest, darkest time of need, Mariah Carey's coming to mind. I needed the word of God. I said, God, why did you take my dad? I need him. My mom needs him. She's 58 years old. She needs him. He owned his own business, and she was, his, you know, just the lady behind the man, and it was just a beautiful relationship. I'm like, she needs him. We need him. Why did you take him away? And you know what God said to me? Christina, if you needed him, I would not have taken him away. Because my word says, I will provide all of your needs according to my riches and glory. And that's the truth. How to wrestle with the Lord. Ladies, we got to wrestle with the truth. But listen to me, we're never going to receive the truth if we keep filling our minds with all the lies. We got we to gotta resist the devil and receive the truth. We must consciously receive what God has for us, and that's spending time in his word. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, listen, this is important for you to know. It's important for you to know that if you resist him once, he's probably not going to let up right away. He's going to push in harder, okay? He's going to push in stronger. But you got you to have that resistance. But listen, the suffering that God is bringing into your life is making you stronger. The more times, the more uh, practice that you have resisting the devil, the better you're going to get at it. And Jesus is our example for resisting the devil when he was in the wilderness. You know, God didn't take away suffering from his own son, Jesus. And sometimes the spirit himself leads us into difficult situations. Listen, the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness where there was no food. There was no water. There were wild animals. And the devil was there. Led by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus himself shows us how to resist the devil so that he flees. And I'm not going to say resist him three times and he will go. But that's what he did to Christ. Christ resisted him three times and then the devil fled. So listen, don't give up on resisting the devil. 
Practice resisting the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Promised. Promise. Resist him. All right, the, the next thing, and the final thing, this is the final point, ladies. We've got to reword our prayers. If we want to live like victors instead of victims, we got to stop this like me. This is, this is me many years of my life. Oh, dear Jesus. Oh, dear Jesus. Oh, dear Jesus, please. Please. You know, the, the wringing of the hands. And like, sometimes I'd be like, I can't pray about something because I'm more anxious about it after I prayed about it than, you know, before. But I don't know if you've ever heard of the whole Acts model of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Okay, but let me, let me say this. This comes from all of Scripture. If you study all the prayers of Scripture, this is what you will see. Add an I will and a so that. Start, start looking at Scripture. Start looking at the prayers of Scripture. It's so awesome. Be honest to, with God about how you feel and the realities of your life. Yes, this is happening. Somebody tried to still stone me to death. You know, yep, I feel like they're trying to kill me. You know, whatever. This is, this is the reality, God, but don't stay there. You can ask God to take it away. You can. It's okay. But then add an I will. Even if you don't remove this obstacle from me. Even if you don't take me out of this difficult situation, Lord, I will do your will. I will do the good things I know to do. If you're not sure what to tell God that you will do, Look at the Psalms. I will praise you. I will thank you. I will live for you. I will go to the sanctuary. I will do the next thing and I will do the right thing in your power and your strength and your glory because you've, you've already given me what I need to do it. God hasn't taken that away from you. It might not be the thing you think you should be doing, but it's the thing God has for you. The so that, add the so that. Okay, when you ask God for something, add a so that. This will reveal your motives. If you ask God for something and then you say so that, you might not keep praying that because it might reveal some ugly things in your heart because sometimes we're asking God for things because we have the wrong motives. So add us so that. You'll see it in scripture. And you know what? Time and time again, if you see so that in scripture, in a prayer, you will see what should be our number one motive in life. This is why we exist this is why we live. We don't live for us. We don't live for our comfort. We don't live for our fame. 
We live so that God is glorified and so that the whole world will know his name. Are you willing to pray that prayer? Are you willing to pray that prayer? Are you going to be God's victor? Or are you going to be Satan's victim? Because right now, tonight, it's going to change. You have been confronted by the truth. And the truth is, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have been set free to live the life that he has created you to live. So you can't, you've been confronted with this truth. You can't walk out of here saying, I'm the victim. I can't. I'm trapped. I just gave you the path out straight from Scripture. So what is it going to be for you? What's it going to be for me? Are we going to be God's victor or are we going to be Satan's victim? I just want to end with this little the last, oh, victim of the Bible, I guess, that we're going to talk about tonight. I'm just going to end with this. Um, the complete story is in 1 Kings 18. And his name is Obadiah. And you probably have it. It's not Obadiah, the one that wrote the, the, the Obadiah the prophet. It's not that Obadiah. Obadiah lived in horrible times. Um, the kingdom of Israel had split in half. The northern kingdom of Israel was dedicated to following every god other than the, the one true god, Yahweh. In fact, to the extent of establishing their own gods, two calves that they set up, in their kingdom, and they told the people, these are the gods that brought you through uh, the Red Sea. These are the gods that uh, took, got you out of e uh, the Egypt. These are the gods that rescued you. Did you know that? Did you know that that's what they did? Jeroboam set up two ca golden calves, and he told the people, no, th these are the gods that rescued you from Egypt. Remember when we began with, with the, the Exodus? All right, as each king came into power in the northern kingdom of Israel, they became more and more wicked. And it, we finally get to Ahab, who marries Jezebel, who's even more wicked than Ahab is. She's so wicked that she decides that she is going to kill anyone who claims to be a prophet of God, of Yahweh. And then she, at her table in her ivory palace, seats all the prophets of Baal. The God who cannot see, the God who cannot hear, and the gods who are not able. Well, guess where Obadiah fits into this picture? Does anybody know? What was his job? He was in charge of the palace. 
God put Obadiah in charge of the palace in this horrible country who are ruled by horribly wicked people. And it's his job to pro provide food for Jezebel and her prophets of Baal. That's his job. Well, Obadiah greatly feared the Lord. That's the one thing that's said about him. If I greatly feared the Lord and I was finding myself in that kind of situation, I'd be like, this is unacceptable. I cannot serve the Lord under these circumstances. Right? This is like not okay. And there would be so many things and so many reasons why I could not live and serve or heaven, like no way I could fulfill God's purpose for my life with that kind of boss. If that kind of person's in control and I'm supposed to bring food to their table, what in the world? Well, guess what? There was a famine in the land. Now, she's killing all the prophets of God. God brings a famine into the land, a drought. He does not send rain, which means they don't have food. What would you and I do in that situation? God give us, we need what? Rain. But guess what? The absence of rain is what God was using to get Ahab and Jezebel's attention. Do you know that sometimes I think we got, ask God to remove the very thing that he is trying to use to get somebody's attention for all eternity? So Obadiah is in the palace. He greatly fears the Lord. Jezebel's killing all of the prophets of God. And then there's one sentence. But Obadiah. We don't know how. We don't know the details, although they would surely be very juicy and interesting. But he saved a handful of those prophets of God and hid them in a cave. And because of his position in being in charge of the palace, he was able to provide food and whatever needs that these prophets had as they hid in the cave. He hid them. He saved their lives. Well, Ahab tells Obadiah, Obadiah, come on, you're, you're coming with me. You're coming with me. We need to find food for the animals so that we don't kill them. You know, the, the, the drought is so severe. The famine is so severe. There's not food. We're going out to the, we're going out to the field to look for some grassy land to keep our animals alive. So what does Obadiah do? You are so wicked, I cannot obey your orders. Right? You're not following God, so I can't follow you. Is that what he did? No. He followed his instructions. He did the next thing, and he did the right thing. He followed Ahab out into the field. 
when, we get the, when they get out into the field, Ahab says, you go that way, I'm going to go this way. What does Obadiah do? I know better than Ahab because I know God and he doesn't. I'm going to go my own way. No, he followed his orders. He followed the orders. He went that way and Ahab went that way. And as Obadiah was just doing the next thing and the right thing, he meets Elijah. A divine appointment. Listen, when we think about living out a God-given purpose, I think we believe this lie. I'm just not living out my God-given purpose because, like, I think God has something greater. God has something bigger. Like, it's, it's going to influence more people. It's going to create, generate more money or something. Like, like, Elon Musk, he is very influential and has a lot of purpose, right? Isn't that what we do in our minds? Like, it, I don't know. Listen, listen, you know what? Listen, God does this. God brings divine meaning to mundane tasks, Mundane life, the everyday life, you will see it in Daniel, you will see it in Jeremiah. They were just going about their daily duties, reflecting the fruits of the Spirit, determined to live out their God-given purpose. What is that, your God-given purpose? Sometimes it's just doing the next thing. Sometimes it's just doing the right thing, the next right thing, and God brings divine meaning into that, and that's what he did to Obadiah. Obadiah is just doing the next thing. And boom, there's Elijah. And Elijah says, I need to see Ahab. And Obadiah becomes the connector between Elijah, who represents God and it is God's voice, and Ahab, the king of Israel. And because of Obadiah, these two got connected and all of Israel gathered and Elijah was able to proclaim, there is a God who sees. There is a God who hears. And there is a God who is able. And I want to introduce you to him. And because of Obadiah's obedience, listen, if I'd met Elijah in that, in that falcon, Obadiah, do you know what I'm going through? Do you know how bad the situation is? Like, we got to pray right here, right now. Like, God, take this away. Listen, Obadiah just did the next thing. He just did the next right thing. He didn't care. What was going on around him? He did not care what was going on within him. Fear, everything else. He knew he'd be killed if he did this, introducing Ahab to Elijah. He knew he was risking his life. But he did the next thing. He did the right thing. And Elijah was able, because of this connection, he was able to bring all of the people of Israel together. And... 1 Kings 18.36. I want to back up just a little bit. Just a bit, a little bit. Listen. He gathers the prophets of Baal. Elijah says, prophets of Baal, you come. 
and I represent the prophets of the prophets of God, and we're gonna see. We're gonna see who's God. And so the prophets of Baal, they start crying out. They start asking their Baal to answer us. It's in verse 26, chapter 18. Baal, answer us from morning until noon. Baal, answer us. They cut themselves. They danced around, hobbling around the altar they had made. But guess what? There was no sound. No one answered. Shout loudly, Elijah said, for he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. And they shouted loudly and they cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon, they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no sound. No one answered. And no one paid attention. Now moving down to verse 36. At the time for the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah, the prophet, approached the altar and he said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today, what is he going to ask God for in front of all these people? Today, let it be known that you are God. You are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. Why? Here's the so that. Give it to me, Lord. Give it to me. I'm begging. I'm begging you to give it to me. So that this people will know that you are God. So that this people will know you are God. You hear them. You see them. You're able, God. You're the one that will satisfy every need. You are the one that has empowered them. They need you, God. I don't need for all this trouble to go away. But they, they need you. Ladies, this is our purpose in life. We think we need a lot of things that we're wasting time and energy. Praying for our wants when there's a world that needs Jesus. And sometimes that takes suffering. For you and for me. I told you about my dad dropping dead when I was 26 and pregnant with our first child. 
just a few months before that happened, I was sitting in church with my dad to tell him that I was pregnant. Came home. Corey and I went, were living in Louisville at the time, and we drove up to northern Indiana to share with them the good news that I was pregnant. My dad was so happy, actually named. He said, if you have a girl, I want her to be named Caroline. That's a side note. But I went, we went to church with my parents that, that day, and um, after service, my dad said, Christina, like, talking to the pastor, talking to a couple friends, and he said, I'm just so burdened. He said, I'm so burdened about my, my little brother, Dave. He doesn't know Jesus. He is not living for Jesus. And I, I just, I've shared with him and I, I've talked to him and I know he knows. I know he knows, but he's like, can we just pray right now? Can we just pray right now? This was not like my, my father. He's not outgoing or he's very quiet. And he's like, let's just, and whoever was there at the front of the church, just let's hold hands and let's just pray that he will be saved and that God will do whatever it takes for him to be saved. Guess what? It took my dad's death to get his little brother's attention and he was saved. He was radically transformed. He was radically changed. When my dad died, he gave his life to the Lord. He started a prison ministry. <laughs> I mean, he is crazy for Jesus. He is on fire for Jesus. And you know what my dad would say? Christina, I love you. But you don't need me. My brother needs Jesus. That's what he would say. So are we willing, are we willing, do we love the world so much that we are willing to say, God, do whatever it takes so that the world will know that you are God? Can you, can you say this prayer with me in your hearts? A prayer of commitment and just, it's a tough one. It's not one to, to pray lightly. But dear God, I will live my life through your power. Not my own power. Not my own strength. But you're able. You're able through me, Lord. I will live my life through your power, radiating the fruits of your Holy Spirit, regardless of what is going on around me or within me, so that the world will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back to you. And so, dear Lord, I pray for these women. Encourage them. Empower them, Lord. I know, I know so many of their struggles, and so do you. Draw them to yourself and show yourself to them. Reveal yourself to them. 
and use this group, Lord, free them to live like victors, even when they feel like victims. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.